And then you'll find Paul's letter to the church there in Rome. And uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've been uh, in a sermon series, ongoing sermon series on prayer, entitled Teach Us to Pray. And uh, that is a wonderful song reminding us of the power and the necessity of private prayer, spending time with the Lord um, on our knees. This morning, we're going to shift gears a little bit from private prayer to corporate prayer. In Romans chapter 12, I hope that you're there. I'm going to ask you to do this. Um, Let's stand together in honor of God's word, and we'll read our passage this morning. So if you are able, would you stand with me? Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And that is the reading of God's word together. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask for your power to be in our presence now, that your Holy Spirit would come, and that he would open up our eyes to the truth of the words before us. God, I pray that you would help us to understand them. I pray that we would be able to rightly apply them personally. And especially, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the corporate nature of much of your word as it speaks to not only our lives individually, but how we are to live life together as a church. And we pray that you would teach us what it means to be faithful or devoted to prayer corporately. We ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Why don't you have a seat? Well, if I were to ask you this question, which do you think is more important, private prayer or corporate prayer, what would you say? What do you think is more important, praying alone in your prayer closet, as it were, or praying together with other Christians, which is most vital? Well, Daniel Henderson, he's the founder of a ministry called Strategic Renewal. It's a prayer-based church revitalization ministry. He answers that question in this way. He says, over the years, church members have asked, which is more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? And I tell them, yes, both are essential. And then he uses a wonderful analogy. He says, it is like asking which leg is more important for walking. Right and left, obviously, are absolutely necessary. He goes on to write, Frankly, I cannot imagine living a vibrant and balanced Christian life without a regular weekly dose of both. And then he goes on to comment uh, on Christians who, well, focus more on personal prayer than corporate prayer. He says, in a sense, these folks, in a sense, they're trying to hop on one leg. 
and they're finding the prayer journey difficult at best. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may I humbly ask you this morning, are you hopping on one leg in your prayer life? Are we hopping on one leg in our prayer life as a church? For the remainder of our series, which is just a few weeks before we hit the Christmas season, we're going to shift our focus from uh, private prayer to corporate prayer to the often neglected leg of our prayer life, and that is praying together as a church. My aim for these latter weeks, the latter part of our sermon series, is to convince you that corporate prayer is just as important as individual prayer. It's to convince you that praying together is an absolute necessity for us as a church and an absolute necessity for you and for me as a Christian. They go hand in hand. They complement one another. We need both legs, if you will, in our prayer life. So let's start by briefly considering how corporate prayer is an absolutely vital discipleship tool. I don't think anybody would debate the necessity of personal prayer in the life of a Christian. Friends, if I were to ask you, is it important, is this a necessary discipline to grow in Christ that you as a Christian pray, what would you say? Yes, right? I think we would all agree with that. The Bible affirms that. It is an absolute must to grow and mature in Christ. But here's a question I'd like for us to pose. Where is it that we learn to pray? Stated another way, how is it that we learn to pray? One of the often neglected ways of learning how to pray is by praying with our brothers and sisters in Christ. While many tools exist for a local church to make disciples of Jesus, praying together is often one that is overlooked or altogether neglected. Daniel Henderson, again in his book, Fresh Encounters, asserts this. He says, the greatest way to teach people to pray is to ask them to come alongside us in prayer. He says, the experience of shared and extended seasons of prayer is a sorely neglected component of real discipleship. Friends, could it be, as we consider the question, how do we learn to pray? as we consider learning how to pray as a follower of Christ, could it be that we have the order backwards? Might it be that we think that we need to learn how to pray by ourselves first? That we need to to go in our prayer closets and work things out with the Lord, that we need to sort of get up to snuff in our own personal prayer life, that we need to do that first in order then to be competent, in praying with others. Might we think that when in actuality, could it be, could it possibly be God's design that it is just the opposite? Could it be that we think of uh, praying, can it be that we think of praying together is actually a training ground for learning how to pray individually? I want you to think of a time when you have prayed with other Christians. Maybe that's in a small group. Maybe that's with your family. Uh, maybe that's at a, a small group or a church meeting or a prayer meeting. Can you think of a time when you've prayed with others? If you have that in mind, here's the second question. Has that been helpful 
to your walk with Jesus? Has that been spiritually beneficial to you? I think the answer for most of us is yes. I can remember as a brand new Christian, when I trusted in Christ at the age of 16, that I had a friend who was a year older and he had been a Christian for a long time. I told him about my experience of trusting in Christ and one of the first things that he invited me to do was, can you guess? He said, why don't you come and pray with me? That's what he did. I was 16, he was 17, but he was a wise and godly man, even at the age of 17. He said, we're going to pray together. And guess what I did? I learned how to talk to God with him in a group of other young men in my youth group. It was transformational for me. When I was in college, I got together with what was called a growth group at my church, and I prayed with Dr. Dr. Fisher. See, Dr. Fisher's son was our our, uh, college pastor, Brian Fisher, who's now the senior pastor at Grace Bible Church. Not this one, but uh, Grace Bible Church in College Station. And there, we studied the Bible and prayed together. And it was forming. It was informative. I remember a time in my early ministry here at Grace, um, and I was invited by some of our uh, older saints in the faith. They were praying on, I think it was maybe Wednesday night. And I said, sure, I'll come, I'll come pray with you. And I won't name names, but you can probably guess who these folks were. And so I, as a naive and rather foolish young pastor, said, this would be a great opportunity for me to, to be involved in discipling some of these members of our church. Well, guess who was discipled through that prayer time, right? It wasn't them. It was me, right? I needed to spend time with them in prayer. And so, friends, corporate prayer is a wonderful discipleship tool. Yet, despite the enormous benefits of corporate prayer, many churches and many Christians in America have turned, I believe, what, is, uh, what was intended to be a team sport. That is, prayer is meant to be a team sport in part into what is a solely and, co- and only individual sport. Friends, my, my goal for us is that we would begin to see prayer not only as an individual sport, but as a team sport. Many things in life are meant to be shared. We share life together with friends and family and neighbors. We share birthday parties together, and we share anniversaries together, and we share weddings and meals, and so on and so forth. Similarly, many things in the life of the church are meant to be shared experiences in the context of community. We're meant to worship together like we just enjoyed. We're meant to share communion together. We're meant to fellowship with one another. We are meant to share baptisms together. And yes, we are meant as a family of believers to gather together for prayer. Sadly, Sometimes I think we Christians see corporate prayer um, as a spectator sport rather than a team sport. That is, it's not only just something I should do uh, on my own, it's an individual sport, but we, as we think about corporate prayer, praying together, we take it a step further and we treat corporate prayer as a spectator sport. What do I mean by that? Well, I think you know what a spectator sport is. Um, I remember it's been a few years ago. But I was talking with one of my children, and I don't know which one it was. And they know that I uh, am rather fond of football, enjoy watching football, enjoyed playing football in my earlier years. And uh, they know that I particularly enjoy watching football for my alma mater, enjoy watching college football. And I remember one of my kids said, Dad, did you play football in college? 
Did you play for Texas A&M? And I wanted to laugh out loud because this is a great question. And I wanted to say something like, uh, I'm five foot eight and 160 pounds. There's no way that I would play football uh, at any D1 college. I wouldn't even make the practice squad, right? Um, but they didn't know that. And I said, no, honey, you know, I didn't play football at A&M. But I'll tell you what I did do. I watched it. Yes, I was a faithful spectator of Texas A&M football. In fact, I can brag in four years, how many games did I miss at home? Boom, zero, baby. Every game I was at, rain or shine, I was there. It doesn't snow in Texas. So no, no snow. But I would have been there in the snow, in my shorts, absolutely. Um, No, I, I was a spectator, right? I was a spectator. Friends, I think, sadly... Some of us think that way about corporate prayer. We think it's a spectator sport. We, we leave it to uh, the professionals, right? I'm supposed to pray because I'm the professional. Or we, lead it, we, we leave it to, to the elders or to the deacons or to, to those who are spiritual, right? They pray in public. Those are the kind of people that attend prayer meetings. But no, I just, I'm a spectator. On this point, John Anwuchikwa in his wonderful little book, Prayer, says this. He says, Corporate worship, that time and space where the church gathers to worship God, isn't meant to be a spectator sport, where people come to take their seats in the stands to be entertained with singing and a funny, relevant message. Unfortunately, he writes, too many people attend church like they attend their favorite sports games as season ticket holders to a spectator sport. He says, but corporate worship is meant for participating, not spectating. And so with all that as an introduction to the next few weeks, our focus on corporate prayer, let me just simply say this. It doesn't really matter what John Onwuchikwa or Daniel Henderson or Trey Sheffer really says about the importance of praying together as a church. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. What really matters is what God says. What God says in his inspired and inerrant and authoritative word. And so we need to turn to the scriptures, and we will momentarily and for the next few weeks. And we need to ask some questions of the text. Questions like, does the scripture place significance on Christians praying together? Questions like, do we, do we see the church, early church, prioritizing prayer? Do we see them practicing it? Is it really the second leg in which we walk? Do we need it to walk well in the Christian life? And, and brothers and sisters, I think the answer, biblically, is an overwhelming yes. And so we'll take a few weeks to demonstrate that. I, I feel like I can do that in two ways. Well, there's more ways. But I feel like I can do that, demonstrate that in two ways. I could take the easier route... Uh, and, and the easier route is essentially to, to open to the book of Acts, which is a, a history of the birth and the, the, the story of the gospel and the early church spreading. And so we could go to the book of Acts, and I could walk you through each and every one of the 29 references to prayer in its 28 chapters. Yes, there's more than one reference, on average, uh, about prayer in the book of Acts. And so do you think that God wants us to understand the importance of prayer in the life of the corporate church simply from the book of Acts? Yes, of course he does. That's the easy route. I'm going to take that next week, okay? We'll take the easy route next week. Um, there's another way that I think we could do it. It's, it's a harder way. It's to demonstrate its priority 
by helping us see the corporate nature of many verses in the New Testament, many commands in the New Testament regarding prayer. That is to say, my goal for the rest of the sermon this morning is to help us look at the Scripture with fresh eyes through the lenses that are less individualistic and more corporate. So could it be, could it be that we, we are reading many of the New Testament verses and commands regarding prayer wrongly, or at least half right, through the lens of individual prayer application rather than corporate prayer application? Might it be that we can see uh, that we see commands about prayer in the New Testament as, as primarily being designed to motivate or inform our individual prayer lives rather than instruct and inform our corporate prayer life? I think the answer to these questions is yes. And I think that is, uh, that is the case. And so if that, if that is the case, if we, if we are doing this, the question then becomes, why is that? Why might we be prone to see some of the verses on prayer in the New Testament more individualistically than than corporately? Well, I think the answer, simply put, is it's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. It's the culture in which we live. See, we are sort of like a fish in a bowl. If I were to ask a fish, and if the fish were able to, to talk back to me, sort of like cat in the hat, right? You remember that? If the fish could talk, and I were to ask the fish, hey, how's the water in there? You know what he would likely say? What water? What water? It's, it's the air he breathes. It's, it's what he's used to. It's his environment. And friends, we have grown up in an environment here in the great America, the uh, United States of America, which is extremely individualistic, very me-centered. In his book, Connecting Church, Randy Frazee, he says it this way. He talks about this individualistic culture as, quote, a way of life that makes the individual supreme or sovereign over everything. And then he laments the impact of this culture on the church, adding that, quote, we all too often, uh, all too often have we mirrored the culture by making Christianity an individual sport. And so then if this is the water that we swim in as Americans, how does that affect us as American Christians? Well, I think in numerous ways, but one way is how we read the scriptures, how we look at the Bible. Former pastor and pioneer of the Fellowship Bible Church movement, Pastor Gene Getz, he's written over 60 books. One of those books is called Praying for One Another. He comments on this individualistic culture's impact on how we see the scriptures, in particular, as it relates to prayer. He says, we have... Uh, why have we neglected the corporate emphasis on prayer found in Acts, in the epistles? He says we individualize many references to, to corporate experience in the New Testament, thus often emphasizing personal prayer. He goes on to write, more is said in Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate Christian maturity and growth than about the personal aspects of these Christian disciplines. He says both are intricately related, but the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice unless they grow out of proper corporate experiences 
on a regular basis. I think what he's trying to say is this. The result is that when we read verses about prayer in the New Testament, we usually assume that the text primarily or only applies to our personal prayer life. And so we hear the text using the word you. You pray. You do this. And in English, individualistic you, singular you, and plural you, it looks the same. In our individual American mindset, we we see the word you, and what do we often think? Me, (laughs) right? We think me. But you can mean me, and you can mean you, right? You all, collectively. See, in English, you and you, plural and singular, are um, the same. In Greek, I think we've got a slide here. If we can go to the next one. Don't get... It's all Greek to you, right? So don't worry about that. The point there is that up at the top, you got Greek words for you in singular, and at the bottom, you got uh, pronouns plural. And the point is, we can move on from that, because I don't think you want to memorize Greek. The point is, is that in Greek, in the language of the Bible, individual you looks different than corporate you, so that when we read passages on prayer, we can know, is this talking just to an individual? Are we talking to a group of people? And the overwhelming majority of passages on prayer that use the you, it's you all. Or in Texan, y'all, right? All of you. And so this is how it happens. Author and scholar Michael Griffin says this. He says, in standard English, the second person singular you and the second person plural you are identical. That's what I just said. Thus, the New Testament letters addressed to congregations are read, that is, by us, as though they were addressed... To the individuals. It is good and right that we should apply the scriptures to ourselves personally, absolutely. But it is unfortunate if we also apply scriptures individualistically and ignore the fact that the original intention of the writer was to instruct us not so much as individuals, but as whole communities of Christian people. And so let's get into one such passage where Paul writes to a group of Christians in the city of Rome. So I hope you have your Bible still open. Romans chapter 12. We've read verses 9 through 16 or 17. We're going to focus our efforts on verse 12. So just a little context to Romans chapter 12. In chapter 12, uh, Paul begins a new major section in the epistle of Romans. What we see in verses uh, chapters 1 through 11, there's quite a bit about uh, doctrine. Uh, there's quite a bit about the gospel. In fact, that's what the, the letter of Romans is about. He says, I'm going to share with you this gospel that I preach. And so he outlines the aspects or the facets of the gospel in chapters 1 through 11. You could say it's about doctrine. Starting in chapter 12, running through the end of the book, you could say it's about duty. The, the first half of the book is about what we should believe, while the second half is about how we are to behave. And so Paul is starting to, to turn in and say, these are the implications of the gospel in the life of the Christian and the life of the church. With that being said, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul begins, right, in very familiar words, maybe to some of us, with this transition. Therefore, right, in light of this doctrine, therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, if you have God's mercy, right, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so he begins in verses 1 and 2, and he says, This then is how the Christian and the Christian church is to relate to God. Verses 1 and 2, this is how we relate to God. 
Starting in verse 3, Paul begins to talk about how Christians are to relate to one another. He begins in verse 3 with a call to humility, right? Consider others as more important than yourselves. He points out that each uh, Christian has different giftings from the Holy Spirit, but yet we belong to the same body. And then, starting in verse 9, which is where our verse falls, starting in verse 9, what follows then, in verses 9 through 13, uh, it, it, it sort of reads like a staccato beat, if you're familiar with, with music, right? Boom, 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 boom. It, it's a staccato-like beat of commands, fleshing out what love looks like in the church. So he said, we relate to God, we relate to, to one another, specifically starting in verse 9, what does it look like for us to love one another as Christians? Well, let's read starting in verse 9 again. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Notice, command, 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 command. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then here's a verse we'll kind of hone in on. Be, be joyful in what sphere? How? Be joyful in hope. He says, be patient in the midst of what? In the midst of affliction. And then he says, be faithful, or your translation might say, be devoted. Be faithful in what? In prayer, be faithful, be devoted to prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So before we then sort of hone in on our our, our verse in verse 12, let me simply point out that in this section, verses 9 through 13, all of the verbs which serve as commands, all of these verbs that are translated here as commands, guess Guess which one they are. Do you think they're singular verbs or do you think they're plural? Hint. Plural. Which which are they? Plural, right? These are plural verbs, like all of you, right? So it could, it could, you could see it. All of you hate what is evil. All of you be devoted to one another. So, so Paul is clearly speaking to a group of believers. And he's speaking to a group of believers about how they are to relate to one another. Did you notice sort of the corporate nature of the commands? Let me just ask it this way. Can can all of these things be done alone? In other words, can they be devoted to one another? Can they fulfill that command by themselves? What do you think? No. Can they honor one another above themselves all by themselves? No. Can they share with the Lord's people who are in need alone? No. Can they practice hospitality alone? No, of course not, right? These are communal commands, and that suggests to me that the other commands that we see in these verses are communal in nature as well, including the command to be faithful or devoted, depending upon your translation, to prayer. So look at verse 12 again. Paul writes, Be joyful in hope. Plural verbs. All of you, be joyful in hope. All of you, be patient in the affliction that you might be enduring as a group. All of you, be faithful in prayer. What does Paul mean to be faithful in prayer? The word faithful or be devoted to, your translation might say, it means to persevere in something, to keep on keeping on, to be devoted to something. And of course, in this case, he's commanding the church of Christ 
to be devoted, to, to persevere, to keep going in, in what activity? Prayer, right? Praying together. In fact, this word, one, trend, one, one dictionary defines this word faithful or devoted in this way. It says to be persistent in something obstinately. I like that. What does it mean to be obstinate? It means like, I'm not going to give up, right? You have an obstinate kid. You ever had one of those? Like, they're not giving up. They're going to get their way. They're going to keep, keep going, right? He says, be obstinately devoted to praying together. Again, the verb is plural. All of you be faithful in prayer. So here's the key question. The question then becomes, how would the Christians gather together, likely maybe in somebody's home, as they gather together in the city of Rome, there's a buzz in the air uh, in the church in Rome because Paul has pinned uh, this magnum opus of a letter, and it's going to be read in church. And so there's buzz in the air, and they gather together in the home of somebody to hear the word of the Lord through Paul. And they can't, they can't wait to hear it. How would they, upon hearing these words, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, particularly faithful in prayer, how would they hear it? How would they apply it? Is Paul saying that individual Christians should show devotion, persistence, dedication, faithfulness in their personal prayer lives? I certainly think that's an application. That's a fair application. But would they hear it more like all of you as a church need to be committed to praying together? I think that's what he's saying. Pastor and author John MacArthur, in his commentary on this particular verse, speaks of the corporate understanding, the corporate nature of, this, of, of these verses. And then he applies it to what he sees the church doing in the book of Acts. He comments on how such corporate devotion, they didn't stop gathering together to pray. How that what we see Paul commanding, church, be faithful, be devoted to praying together, actually was played out in the book of Acts. He says this, he says, it was, it was such... It was such devoted prayer, it was with such devoted prayer that the early Christians worshipped. In other words, he says, what I see in the book of Acts, the church praying together, that's what I see Paul commanding here in Romans chapter 12. Let's just quickly consider a few other verses through the lens of corporate prayer. You can follow on the screen behind me. Another passage in Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 30. Paul writes to the church, I urge you, What do you think, singular or plural? Plural. I urge you, all of you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to do what? To join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So the individualistic interpretation says, I I need to pray for leaders. I need to pray for church leaders to spread God's word. That's a fair application. The community lens, however, sees it this way. We need to pray for Paul in our gatherings. We need to join together with him in his struggle. Colossians chapter 4, 2 two through 3. We have a very clear command starting in verse 2. Very similar to what we see in Romans chapter 12. Paul begins, devote yourselves, he writes, devote yourselves to prayer. Plural or singular verb? Plural verb. All of you, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful plural verb, and thankful, and pray, plural verb, for us too, that God may open a door for our message, 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am, cha- I am in chains. So reading this personally, we might think, I need to devote myself to praying for open doors for the gospel. And we should do that. But read corporately, it could mean something like, we, we need to continually devote ourselves as a church to be watchful and to pray in a thankful manner and to pray that the, the doors uh, would be open for the gospel. One more, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray, and pray, plural verb, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, plural verb, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So we might naturally interpret this to mean, I need to pray in many different ways for many different people as the Holy Spirit leads. Corporately, it would mean we need to gather together and pray all sorts of different kinds of prayers for all sorts of different kinds of people. And so in closing, in closing, is there evidence that the early church understood passages like these in a corporate way? Is there evidence that, that they devoted themselves to praying together? I think there is. And next week, Lord willing, we'll start in the book of Acts. And we'll take a look at all of the passages where we see the church gathered together corporately. It was a part of what it meant to be a Christian, for them to gather together with the body of Christ to do multiple things, not the least of which is praying. And so we'll dive into some of those passages. I think it's really clear from the book of Acts that corporate prayer, if I could use this image, was part of the warp and woof of the early church experience. So here's the question I'm going to leave us with. Is corporate prayer a part of this church's experience? Is it a part of our warp and woof? And if it's not, then why not? What needs to change? So we'll see next week how the early church learned to hop on two legs. They walked on two legs. The leg of private prayer and the leg of corporate prayer. And if you see what God did in the book of Acts... It was astounding. Why did God do those things through them? Well, it had to be, at least in part, that they were praying in their closet, like Jesus taught us to do, and they were praying together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, instruct us, we pray, through your word, that we might be faithful, not only in our own prayer closets, but, God, that we would be willing to join together with other brothers and sisters in Christ to pray together that our corporate prayer experience uh, would not be one uh, where it's an, uh, an individual sport, that we wouldn't be um, spectators in the crowd. But God, that you through your spirit would work in our hearts to give us a hunger for you and to give us a hunger to be with your people, that we might gather together to learn how to pray together and to seek your face together, to be faithful and obedient to your word, which commands that we be committed to this, that it would be a part of life together. So God, teach us, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Amen.